All right, all right. Welcome back to the Expert Edge. Today, you are in for something very special. In fact, I'm going to share one of the people who have probably made one of the most significant impacts on my personal life, and her name is Annie Grace, and she helps people become alcohol-free. And so if you have ever been curious about stopping alcohol, reducing alcohol, becoming alcohol-free, you want to take a listen to this. And even if you don't want to stop drinking alcohol, I think just understanding some of the premises and her journey and also her business model, because by the way, she runs a humongous multi-million dollar expert business, which is part of the reason why I wanted to interview her as well. So we talk about her business model and how she runs her business, but we spend a good a good amount of time really on the philosophy of living alcohol-free and being guilt-free and being rules-free and actually living truly free. And so if you've ever been curious about this, definitely uh, check this out. And if you find it valuable, uh, leave a review uh, a written review on the podcast and share it on your stories and tag me at Colin Boyd and send me a DM and I will send you a course valued at $197. We normally sell it for $197. Um, if you go and do that, I'll send you a course. Let's get into it talking about living alcohol free with Annie Grace. You are listening to the Expert Edge Podcast. This is the place where experts come to command the stage, position themselves as authorities, and scale their business up. Get ready to access your next level of potential with your host, Colin Boy. Annie Grace, welcome to the Expert Edge. Oh, thank you, Colin. So good to be here. Now, I am really excited to have this conversation uh, because I've had a lot of big names on our podcast. Uh, which you are in your industry, but there has been none that have had such a profound effect on my life personally. And it was May 1st, 2022, when I read, I was reading your book and that was the last day that I've had alcohol. Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) Which is just crazy. And so we're going to have a conversation about your journey uh, with becoming alcohol free. And I've got a whole bunch of questions I wanted to ask you personally, because obviously there's been a journey for me. It's been like seven months or so since I, since I made that shift and that change, I have a lot of my friends asking me about that question. And, and I know there'll be listeners here thinking, Oh, I don't know if I really even want to listen to this podcast. If we're going to, we're going to talk about not drinking alcohol but I want you guys to, you know, be comfortable with this because what I love about Annie's style is, you know, she's not like aggressive. She's not like you have to stop drinking or anything like that. She really does like the deeper belief work, which is what I want to explore today. And so before we get started, um, could you share with people about your, um, yeah, your journey in discovering this big topic of living alcohol free? And I know you do a few other addictions and things like that. But but tell us like the you know the overview of your story and this breakthrough breakthrough journey for you. Yeah, absolutely. So sort of in a nutshell, um, it was really obviously a personal story, and I found myself uh, living in New York City, newly married, uh, not a big drinker, 
I kind of grew up in a very alternative lifestyle. So on a back of a mountain in a log cabin with no running water and no electricity because my parents were hippies. So they did not drink alcohol. They were very healthy, organic kind of people. And um, so I didn't really have a cautionary tale one way or the other. So there I was in New York City and I was, you know, in this new big job. And my boss actually asked me, why I wasn't coming out to happy hours. And I was like, oh, I don't really drink. And he was like, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about, you know, making connections. And this is, you know, the bar is kind of like the golf course here in New York. It's where the deals are done. It's where your ideas get showcased. So if you're passionate about your career, you need to show up here. And so I was like, all right. So I, I sort of went into it with a method. I decided to drink a glass of wine and then a glass of water and then a glass of wine and then a glass of water to make sure I never got too tipsy. I would even sometimes feel like I was getting like tipsy or drunk and I'd go into the bathroom, throw up a glass of wine, just to keep out and keep drinking till wow. you know, two, three in the morning. Um, because I was so serious about like, okay, like once I was there, you know, there were all the people who were, who's who at the company were there and they were drinking and it's all about keeping up. And so Anyway, it served me well in my career. I ended up getting promoted, ultimately became global head of marketing, was in charge of 28 countries, flying all over the world. And I found myself also drinking two bottles of wine a night. And it's interesting, Colin, I don't remember where the line was. I, if there was a line, it was one of those very insidious things that kind of snuck up on you. And one of the reasons, you know, I, I wrote a post forever ago that went viral and it was like six reasons I no longer drink. One of those reasons was because, because it does anything that sneaks up on you like that, anything that one day you think you're fine. And the next day you're like, when was the last day we didn't drink? And you can't even remember, you know, it felt very insidious. And, um, and so I realized at one point that, you know, it was for sure taking a toll physically, mentally, emotionally, all the things that alcohol does. And I thought, well, right. So I'm just going to drink less. And interestingly, as a lot of people discover when they're just going to drink less, you can do it. I could do it. I could take the 30 day break. I could do the dry January, you know, you could do it. But I always, when I was, was feeling deprived and just kind of biding the time until it was done. And I could just prove myself normal, check, did that, and then I was going to go back to it. And so that sort of cycle lasted for a while. And, and at some point I was like, man, like if I have to stop drinking or keep drinking and just deal with the consequences and stopping drinking looked so miserable. I mean, it looked like even just the word sobriety, I, I still don't call myself sober. It's, it's just one of those words that I'm just, just sounds boring. It's, literally the definition it of does sound boring which means it's like it's a sober meeting is yeah. a meeting without a lot of excitement or animation right like that's like the dictionary definition I'm like oh it sounds terrible so I, I just figured well I I just keep drinking but there was this niggle inside of me that said you know what like why did I start like, why, why, why do I feel like I'm missing out? Like, what is it? Is it really fun? And so I started doing these little mini experiments on myself. Like I would start to notice, okay, when is it fun? And I'd realize that when I walk out of my office, cause I was working at home at the time into the, the kitchen to pull the wine glass out of the cabinet, I started feeling better before I even poured the wine mm -hmm. or started feeling better after the first sip before it even hit my stomach. I was like, that's weird, you know? And then I started noticing like 20, 30 minutes into it, 
I wasn't actually having that much fun at all. And so I was like, this is interesting. I ended up doing just this whole ton of research. I, I wrote a list of every single reason I drank and kind of went through every reason methodically. And we live in this day and age where you can pay 50 bucks, a hundred bucks and download any scientific study you want in all of these resources. Uh, Google Scholar is like my best friend. And so I started going through and, you know, I drank to relax. Well, turns out alcohol releases cortisol in the body, which is a stress hormone. I drank to have more fun. Turns out um, the, the effect of alcohol because it overstimulates certain parts of the brain is for your brain to turn down the stimulation and all the things that are fun in your real life. So in, a, in effect, you, you turn down your ability to have fun without a drink. And then eventually, because you get tolerant, that ability to have fun with a drink dials down too. And cumulatively, you're having less fun in your life. And all of these things where I was like, how do we not know this? How is a society? Do we not know this? I actually saw this hilarious TikTok recently. And it was like this alien had come down and was all like, so, um, so you're telling me you drink it. And sometimes you drink it enough to make you throw up. And, and so do you, does it, does it make you funnier? And they're like, well, I think it makes me funnier, but when I see the videos, I'm really more stupid. Oh, okay. So so are you forced to do this? Well, no, we just, you know, well, okay. You're at least paid to do it. Right. <laughs> well, no, we actually pay for the privilege. And it was just this, like, yeah, if, if, if aliens came and knew what we know, like they would really, they would really wonder. <laughs> and so it was just funny that way. But after that, I just, I just lost my desire to drink. I did not want it anymore. I had basically rewired both my conscious mind, my subconscious mind, my desires. And I was just told my husband, I was like, I don't want to drink alcohol anymore. No intention to write a book, become an author, build a business. None of that. I, I was just really like, didn't want to do it. And then I also recognized that all the research I had done, putting together those ideas were valuable. So I figured out how to put them on a website. I Funny story, since this is a bit of a business podcast, but I didn't have an opt-in because I didn't know you should get email addresses. I just put a PDF yeah. on a website. It was like, website, download yeah. here. Download. <laughs> and, and so I put it in a few blogs that I was, or I mean, Facebook groups that I was in or whatever. And 20,000 people downloaded it in the first two weeks because I could wow. kind of see the stats on the back end. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. And I had my email address in there. So I started getting these emails from all over the world. And people were like, this really helped me. This was amazing. You know, this helped me where nothing else did. And one guy, he just sort of said, you should make this a book. And I was like, well, I don't have an agent. I'm, you know, I don't have an audience. And, and he's like, no, no, you can just publish on, on Amazon. And he sent me the link for like CreateSpace self-publishing. So I was like, huh, all right, I could do that. So I ended up figuring out how to self-publish. And this Naked Mind, the book was originally self-published in 2015, and it sold um, so well that it got the attention of the traditional publishers. I like to say my claim to fame was at that point in time, that was a very atypical route for a self-published book to cross the chasm to traditional publishing. So the only book at the time that I knew of that had done that was Fifty Shades of Grey. So I felt oh. like a really good company. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so it ended up that it went to auction with the publishers and then was published by Penguin Random House in um in 2018. And I've since wrote a few more books and kind of like the rest is history. Mm. Well, I know for me, I, I was definitely a little bit scared to read it because I knew that if I read this thing, something was going to shift and change. And I, I actually saw this fascinating 
uh, post the other day. It was on one of the news outlets and it was talking about how there's this epidemic right now of liver liver disease in younger people, like 20s, early 30s. And they're seeing the level of liver disease in that age as you would see in like 50 and 60 year old mm. people. Mm. And I know for me during COVID, uh, I definitely, you know, just gradually exactly what you said. I think you use the metaphor of that, that plant where, mm. where you gradually slide down the plant. You don't know that it's going to eat you. And, and then you see everyone else in there and they're like, yeah, we're all, we're all in the plant as well. And you're gradually sliding down and I got, you know, I know for me, I got to a point where I could still do that. I think I did dry January in 2022. And, but all I could do was like, think about February one, because I knew February one, I was going to hit it back hard. I was like, that's it. I'm going to have like, uh, like a bunch of drinks and just celebrate with my friends that I didn't drink for 30 days. And I, and I did that. Um, and, and then, but then I found myself just relying unconsciously and consciously on alcohol and I would wake up feeling just flat. Like I, I felt like I was really feeling miserable. And what was fascinating about you, Annie, is I've found very few people. In fact, I haven't found any other than you, um, who were truly successful in what they were doing and weren't trying to label me as an alcoholic or label me as some sort of dysfunctional human being. And because I knew that I'm I'm a highly functional person. I run a, a really profitable, powerful business. I coach thousands of people around the world. I have those people on my coaching calls every other week. And I'm like, I'm a very competent, confident individual. And I've got this thing in my life that I felt like I couldn't stop or slow down. And it was your insights around the belief shifts that really changed changed it for me. So firstly, I wanted to acknowledge you again. I know I've done that before, but thank you for being that example. And so for those of you who are listening, you're like, oh, you know, I don't want to call myself an alcoholic. How do you view the, the, the shift from depending on alcohol and then not depending on alcohol? Like what are some of the mindset shifts that you feel like from your listeners, your experience um, are the biggest ones that they have to really shift? So I think it kind of buckets into two different buckets, right? Like, well, you know, I'm going to take that back. I think it's actually three different buckets. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's really three layers of beliefs that we have that keep us stuck. So the first layer of belief is all about the substance itself, whether it's alcohol or, you know, you know, any other, any other thing that we do to feel better, sugar, you know, gambling, pornography, drugs, shopping, Instagram, all the things, right? So that thing itself, whatever that thing is, we have a set of beliefs that that thing is going to do something for us. Okay. If I drink, then I will feel X. If I drink, then this will happen. So it's actually like substance, like related beliefs. So, you know, alcohol helps me fall asleep. Alcohol loosens me up in the bedroom. Alcohol tastes good. Alcohol pairs well with steak, whatever those substance related beliefs are, you know, and in my work, um, one of the things that I think is very unique to to my book in in the whole thing, it's not just my story. It is very factual neuroscience based mm. information about those beliefs. 
it's like the substance, like it doesn't do that. Let me tell you what it really does and why. And it's funny that you said you were kind of nervous to read it because I literally have friends who have known me for six, seven years. And they're like, I won't read your book because I know every single person who's read your book has stopped drinking. And so like, I will not, because I like alcohol, I won't stop drinking. I was like, well, you wouldn't stop unless you wanted to, but (laughs) I was like, don't read it. Actually, there's a few reviews on Amazon that are like, I read this for my sister. Now I don't even like beer. What am I going to do at the bachelor party? Thanks a lot. You know, (laughs) thanks a lot. I I said it to my buddy the other day and he's actually a pastor um, overseas. He runs a really significant size church and, um, and he likes a beer or two. Like he's definitely not an alcoholic. He's quite, he's quite good with, with that side of things. But, but he said to me, he was like, well, now I know what book not to read. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, and he's like a pastor. And I'm like, we were laughing about it, but yep. sorry. Yes. But keep yeah, going. Like that caveat, like you will be brainwashed more. Yes. <laughs> But anyway, so that's what the book is just so full of. It's all those, you know, what, what you think alcohol does for you. Let me show you a different, a different way of thinking. And, um, and one that's much more true and well-researched by the way. And like, you can't unsee it. You can't unknow it. It's, it's, it's really, you know, interesting in that way. The, the second layer of beliefs I would say is all about society. And I think that's real tough, right? Because we're in the society where, Yes, it's changing. Yes, it's shifting. Yes, even Katy Perry has a non-alcoholic beverage and it is still super boozy, right? So we have this, this kind of shift, this, this change, which is amazing and very cool, very exciting. I'm actually launching mocktails in the next few months, which is going to be what? really cool. What yeah. are you, are you able to share what it's called yet or you're not? Yes, I can. So I have a partner, um, Russell Brunson, and I have partnered on this company because I, I don't know anything about that side of, of things. And he, we wanted it to be at the sort of intersection of biohacking. So really good, healthy ingredients for your body and, and non-alcoholic drinks. So the name is Naked AF, which is not what do you think? It's alcohol-free. So Naked AF, so kind of an edgy sort of brand. And they're actually going to be powdered. So you bring them to your, not to get ripped off. Part of this idea was because I was at a, a, a restaurant and they had an upcharge for the mocktails. And I was like, what is happening? How am I being charged more? for something without any alcohol in it. And so I was like, this is ridiculous. So this is kind of this cheeky slap in the face to the industry where you bring your own packet in and then mix it into something. So mango margarita and sangria, and they're all, um, you know, one's called euphoric AF, which is just all euphoria. We've got confident AF, which is like liquid courage, uh, chill AF, which is unwind, relax. And they're all these, I've worked with two naturopaths uh, and, uh, an, an actual doctor to like formulate the, the, um, ingredients, which has taken me three years, but now we're, we're within months of launching this, which I'm really excited about, Incredible. but <laughs> long story short, that society piece is hard, right? The society mm. piece is, is tough. We're, we're herd, herd animals at our core and anything different than what everybody is doing is, is really hard. I actually went to a preschool orientation for my daughter and I was, you know, you're observing the classroom and I was like noticing, um, she's in preschool it was for upper elementary and and I was noticing like these kids they're just wearing any old thing like one of them's wearing cowboy boots the other's wearing a princess dress and I was like when I was this age when I was in third grade the age of these kids 
it was everybody was wearing the same thing unless you were an outcast, right? And it was so interesting how we've already evolved about, okay, we're we're understanding that we can stand out and be different a little bit more than in my childhood, but it's still a really big thing. And so how do you navigate that? How do you be the only person not drinking? How do you talk to people about that? So that's a whole other layer of beliefs that you have to get into. And then the third layer, which is, is I think the most um, the most important work and it's human work. And it's that layer of like the beliefs I have about myself. And, mm-hmm. and that just comes down to using alcohol to self-medicate when we're using alcohol to self-medicate uh, and we, we just take away the alcohol, we will replace it with something else unless we, you know, where that work for me and my curriculum starts is <laughs> first one is the voice in your head. <laughs> what is that? You know, like, is it mean? most of ours are is it nice how do we how do we manage that because as soon as you take off the numbing agent guess what you're left with your own brain your own self your own set of thoughts and unless you kind of handle that stuff so i think if all if all three of if you're not if you're not drinking to self medicate you're just a social drinker clearly you don't need those other conversations um but hopefully you're having them somewhere i feel like that's a we should all be looking at our own brains and ourselves um, but yeah, without all three of those, if you're drinking at all to self-medicate or to relieve stress, you're kind of, it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to really have the change that where you feel really good, happy, congruent, hopeful, excited, you can stop drinking. And I think this is just as a little, little tangent, one of the things that I, I think really bothers me about traditional recovery is that traditional recovery does not really seem to care how you feel right? Like as long as you're not drinking, then you get your next chip, you get your next milestone, your behavior seems to be the only thing that matters. In fact, I would go so far as to say your worthiness and your behavior have kind of gotten conflated, like tied into the same thing. Like if you are a quote alcoholic and you're drinking, your worthiness quotient goes down in your own mind, in the mind of society, in the mind of the people who love you. If you're not drinking, your worthiness quotient goes up. And like, we're humans, like our worthiness has nothing to do with our behavior. Those things are are radically different and need to be treated as such. And so we actually don't make behavior-based goals in our program. So it's never about not drinking. It's always about how do you want to feel in your relationship with alcohol? For me, my goal was I wanted to feel like alcohol was small and irrelevant. And when I felt that way, guess what? I, I just haven't really wanted to drink in like eight years now, but, but it's never been like, oh, well, you know, if I had a sip of something, who cares, right? Like it's not my behavior. I'm not going to break a streak. I'm not adhering to some sort of, you know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's just really separating those. And when we make those goals based on how we feel, we're so much more likely to keep them. And then we don't have the shame and mm-hmm. the guilt that creeps in when we, um, when we make those behavior based goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if someone was to, you know, let's say they were off alcohol and then they had some alcohol, um, how would you like, cause a lot of the time people would call it like a relapse or something like that. How do you frame that? And how do you, what do you say to people when that, when that happens and, and inevitably would happen to a lot of people? Okay. So I'm going to give you like the, the analogy, because I think it really helps the point sink in. So the analogy is how do computers learn to play chess? They learn to play chess because the rules are fed into the computer and then they may, they make a move. And it's the wrong move. And then they make another move and it's the wrong move. And then they make 10,000 more moves and a few of them are right. And the majority of them are wrong. And then eventually they start making right moves. And then eventually they learn to play chess better than any other, um, you know, better than some humans, better than most humans. Right. 
And it's, it's very similar. Like when we frame mistakes as anything but data, like we're missing the plot. And so we don't call it a relapse. We call it a data point. And the only way you have a data point is if you're trying not to drink and you do, right? Like having a drink is having a drink. Who cares? No judgment, no relapse, nothing. But if you're trying not to drink, like you're doing a dry January and you have a data point, then it's just data. No shame, no blame. It's just, all right, great. What, what do I learn from this? The thing that happens, Colin, that's like so cool about that is if you're in traditional recovery and you relapse, usually it's a multi-day bender because mm. the, what the what the F effect comes in and you're like, okay, screw it. I might as well go all in. I've already messed everything up. I've already lost my worthiness as a yeah. human. I'm, wow, I'm totally, so and so you just, you just go for it. And here people have a drink. They're like, oh, well, that wasn't really fun. And then they come back and they're like, all right, this is what I learned. And it never lasts more than a drink or two. People don't even really get drunk. They just have a drink before they kind of like realize like, yeah, this isn't fun. I'm not into this. I didn't want to do that. And so it's, it's just, uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours, Alex Sharfin, he mm. kind of talked about this in a different way. He told me a long time ago, he's like, Annie, do you know how I learned to, to shoot a gun? And I was like, no. And he's like, hey, this is how I learned. My instructor had me go right up to the target and empty the entire cartridge into the target from a foot away. There was no way I could have missed. Mm. And then I took a step back and I still couldn't miss. And I took a step back. And once I missed, I took a step forward. And he said, what that did is it patterned success into my brain. I built my skill based on success, not failure. And so that was so fascinating for me because I thought, wow, like that's the opposite of what we're doing in like traditional recovery, especially because we say in things in traditional recovery, like I'm never going to drink again. And I would never say that. I would never in my life say that because how am I going to know I'm successful? Like when I'm dead, like that makes no sense to me. That is literally setting a goal that I will never know if I succeed at. And so I'm like, I drink as much as I want whenever I want. I just haven't wanted to drink in like over eight years now. So that's fun, but it has nothing to do with me trying to set some sort of goal and then, and then just like scattershot all around the target because I'm too far away from it. So actually if people are like in this, like, okay, I want to take a break. I say, what do you know you can win at? Is it an hour? Great. That's your target. You're not going to drink for the next hour. All right, sweet. Like take a step back. Is it 24 hours? Excellent. Let's try that. And so just building on wins and, and doing everything possible to eliminate shame and blame, because really the truth is those are the enemies here. That's, that's what keeps us stuck. It's not the alcohol. That's the enemy. It's, it's the shame and the guilt that we feel when we hide. And, um, and the, the way out is just self-compassion. Mm. Yeah. Cause I feel like when I was, I did the audio book of your book, um, because I'm not a great reader. Uh, but I love a good audio book. And I, I think I listened to that thing nonstop for about three weeks. And it's a long, it's a long listen, like it's nine hours or something. And uh, and I listened to it three or four times, like mm -hmm. over that three week period. And it literally just like reprogrammed my brain. Um, and what was so crazy was that I kept on saying to my wife and to my friends, because I usually catch up with my buddies while like, we would go out and have a Manhattan and a, you know, all the different drinks and stuff like that. And, uh, and I'd say that I'm, I'm like, the crazy thing is it's not that I'm not drinking. It's that I don't want to drink. I said, that is like blowing my mind. And that's what I couldn't like get past. I was like, I've always tried to not drink. I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to drink. And then I moved into that space which through your methodologies of like, I don't want to drink. 
And that, oh my gosh, that's so powerful when you said like the focus on the feeling, because uh, like that's how I felt. I felt free. And I actually made a decision, which was I am going to be the life of the party. Like when I come to a party or something like that, I'm going to be more of life of the party, not being or being alcohol free than when I was on alcohol. What are some commitments I'm curious from like that you've made that have helped you to, or you see people make in their journey around some of the, like the misbeliefs and stuff like that. What have been some like practical things that you've seen work, especially in social situations and stuff like that? Like, what do you kind of say for people to do? So, you know, first of all, like very early days, especially if you feel really insecure about it, I'm just like, look, this is more important than, you know, anything. So go up, order a gin and tonic, and then ask them to hold the gin. <laughs> like, <laughs> back so to the kitchen and be like, hey, that gin and tonic, can you just hold the gin? And, you know, things like that, or just already having a glass of something in your hand. Like, people don't ask you what you're drinking, or if you need a drink, if you already have something in your hand. You know, the, the we over, like, we get scared of the awkwardness of, being pressured. Um, and usually we bring that energy right into the situation. And so then if you go into a situation like, oh, well, you know, I've kind of been overdoing it and trying to cut back, like it, your friends are literally going to think it's their job to convince you to drink, to stop feeling sorry for yourself. Right. Mm. But if you go into the situation, you're like, oh, like they're have a drink or they're like, are you drinking? I was like, no, not tonight, you know, or just again, really light touch things. It doesn't, the conversation can be as big or small as you sort of make it. I think another thing that I did early days, and, and this sounds a little cheesy, but man, does it work, is I would imagine myself at whatever party I was going to or whatever bar I was going to with an iced tea in my hand, laughing really loud at all the jokes, like, or making all the jokes. Like I would just, I would just imagine it in my mind a few times. And then when I get there, it would happen. Like I would just, because wow. I, I wasn't. And I think the other big thing is we go, we've been programmed to go into when we're not drinking with the idea, it's going to suck. So every time I've been pregnant and had three children and the first two I was drinking and those pray those nine months, the whole time I was like, Oh, I'm going to, this is, this, this barbecue is going to suck. I can't drink. Oh, mm -hmm. this is going to suck. I can't drink. And I remember being miserable. Like I remember it sucking, you know? And then the third, um, I, I wasn't even a drinker anymore. So it didn't really matter, but I would go into it and be like, okay, I don't know. It's going to suck, but equally, you don't want to tell your brain it's going to be amazing because then if it's not your brain like calls BS. So I would say, just like go in and be like, okay, maybe this is going to suck. And I'm going to go home and have a drink later maybe it's going to be great. I don't actually know. So I'm going to just put on the white coat of experimentation and investigation in my own life. And I'm just going to go into this situation and just be really curious about how it is to be the person not drinking. And then you like get into this, this mode of you're just watching and you get so much less emotionally attached. But when we, when we imagine something is going to be terrible without alcohol, like we make that true. The, one of the biggest kind of uh, unique things that I noticed in your work was the idea that alcohol is the problem, not the person. And the idea that, that, you know, that whole thing of like, Oh, you've got an addictive personality. Mm -hmm. Um, or like you, you've got like, yeah, you're, you're an addict because of your personality kind of thing. Um, talk to us about that whole idea of that alcohol affects everyone 
and it's like you're on this like spectrum is that right or some sort of like you kind of on that that falling journey towards being addicted and it's just wherever you are along that journey like what's how does that work talk to me about that idea so we got this like it kind of, you know, I, I always like to call them programs because I'm like, these are like the programs that got installed in us collectively that we didn't really choose or even become aware of. But, you know, one of those programs is that that there are some people who are alcoholics and then there's the rest of us. And I remember this manifesting in my own life because I had a friend who I drank with all the time, showed up one day and was not drinking anymore. And she'd gone to AA and I was like, oh, wow. Like, well, I drink with you. What's the deal? Am I do I have a problem? Am I an alcoholic? And she said, no, no, no. I learned that I was born this way and you're not. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, well then great. I'm not. So on one hand, it felt like a relief. On the other hand, I felt like, man, I was kind of ready to look at my drinking. And that was years and years before I actually did, because I had used that as like, well, if I'm not an alcoholic, there's nothing for me to do in this conversation. I'll just keep drinking to points that make me miserable because I'm non-alcoholic but you know the science does not confirm that at all i mean the science is really clear that you can get addicted to alcohol whether or not you are whatever term in fact the scientific community doesn't even use the word alcoholic because it's it's misunderstood there's no diagnosis there's no test right mm-hmm. they use something called alcohol use disorder which is a measurement of how much you're drinking um, and fun slash terrifying fact is that of the of the dozen or so questions in the alcohol use disorder quiz, two of those questions are, are you drinking more than you used to to um, continue to get the same effect? And did you ever have a time where you drink more than you intended? And every drinker I know would answer yes to those questions. And you only need to answer yes to two questions to have mild alcohol use disorder. So by that frame, every single drinker I know has mild alcohol use disorder. So there's, there's no us and them in that. That's just all of us. Like we're all in the soup, right? And yeah. when we have this us and them idea, we we get into these weird mind games of like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, we don't want to be them. Being them is scary. Being them looks like it sucks. So we try to be like, it just, it just invites denial. It just invites these rock bottom experiences because instead of asking this question, would my life be better drinking a bit less? We're asking this question, what's wrong with me? Am I an alcoholic? Do I have a problem? Do I have to stop? And of course you're going to just drink through all those questions because those questions, all of them make you want to drink. (laughs) They're all really terrifying questions. Um, But the reality is that, you know, again, scientifically, all human beings, the ones with brains, at least, and blood and flesh and bones can become addicted to alcohol. Now, Mm. question then comes up, well, why do somebody, why do some people fall faster down like the pitcher plant than others? And, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of different reasons, quantity, um, you know, uh, tolerance, physical makeup, all of these things, but you know, the core reason, the number one reason, and if you talk to anybody who really felt like their drinking kind of got out of control, it is usually that moment when you start to use alcohol to self-medicate. If you, and that can be self-medicate because you're stressed out at work, drinking at a happy hour to self-medicating, you know, sitting alone by yourself on the couch because you feel depressed about your life, whatever the case is, like when you start to use alcohol to self-medicate, it reacts just differently in the brain. It the brain starts to see it as more of a must have for survival. And that's what happens with every single addiction, by the way, addictions just trick the brain into thinking the substance is necessary for survival, which is worth knowing because when we put so much blame on the individual, it just, it it just kind of sucks. If you think of it that way, like you're putting blame on somebody who's like trying to just breathe. 
or eat food, you know, because the brain has gotten confused to think that this substance is as necessary to their survival as breathing, as eating, you know, and so of course they're going to do crazy things like hide it in the back of their closet and, you know, make sure they can have a drink at all costs because that's what's, that's what's happening in the brain. But that happens much faster when you're drinking to self-medicate. Because mm. I know for me, I probably, probably the biggest thing for me was stress. Like I thought that it was like a stress reliever. So I'd finish my day, you know, four thirty, five o'clock and be like, oh my gosh, it's been a huge day. I at least need one beer. And then one beer would turn into two beers and would turn into three beers and sometimes four beers. And, um, and I linked it to stress relief. And mm -hmm. when I was learning about the stuff about stress relief and that it yeah, releases cortisol and like, doesn't actually really like make you stress less. And I know for me, I ended up not being helpful as a dad around the house as much, like not helping with the kids. And I just, you know, I, I could see all the detrimental sides of things, but I think the biggest thing for me was that when I realized that the alcohol is the problem, not my, not my personality, not my addictive behaviors or anything like that. So that was just mind blowing. Um, the the i was chatting with a friend in the beverage industry recently and this the the zero alcohol or the non-alcohol beers beverages is the fastest growing category in the world right now i mean it's just exploding which is obviously your you know coming your version of it like with your af stuff which is cool um but but uh that is a fascinating kind of industry. What, what's been your take on that space? Cause I saw that there are some beers that are like zero and then some that are like 0.05, like they actually have alcohol in them and they say they're non-alcoholic beers. Um, what, like I, I was just curious cause I've tried a few of them and I'm like, they actually taste pretty good. Like, like a really, they taste like a really light beer with no, I don't get like any buzz on the end of them. And it's fascinating. I know for me when I've had them, I don't feel like I need to drink lots of them. Like I'll have one and it almost feels like a soda where yeah. I'm like, I don't feel like I need to drink another one. Um, right. And if I have two, I'm like halfway through the second one and I'm, and I probably won't even finish it where before, like one would lead into two to three to four. And so, but I'm curious on your take on it. I'm like, am I totally off or like, you know, so I'm just curious on your take on this whole well, big Okay, so this is such an interesting thing, too, is that, you know, among the recovery community, and I didn't know this at all, because I didn't come in that door to this, this was my mm. own journey, and I, I was really unfamiliar, but as soon as, as soon as the snake in mind, the book was out in the world, um, you know, this, this community really started putting its arms around me and like inviting me to speak at events and inviting me to be on different podcasts and all this sort of stuff, which was cool, which was great. I was excited. Uh, and I learned a lot of things that I just was like, why, why do we do that? But they're very against for the most part, any sort of substitute for alcohol, right. And anything that tastes like alcohol. And, um, and I dug into that, and I, you know, some people do feel triggered by the taste. So they feel right. like, oh, okay, like this tastes like beer. It makes me want beer. Um, so I always say like, find out for yourself, but a vast majority of people that I've spoken to are like, no, it's great. It's so great to have something in your hand. And here's the truth is that drinks that are made for kids are sweet and, you know, sodas and like, not that sodas are just for kids or anything, but like a drink that a child would drink is sweet. A drink that is alcoholic or that an adult would drink has something called speed bumps. And that's just like these little 
whether it's using something like bitters or something like hops or using, you know, the um, tannins in wine, whatever yeah. those things are, it makes it a sipping drink. So kombucha is a really good example of a sipping drink. Most kids are not going to like kombucha. It tastes mm -hmm. like vinegar to them or something, but adults like, oh yeah, you could sip this. Right. And so adults are looking for something where they can have something in their hand and they can be social, but they're not guzzling it down. You know, give me a diet Coke. It's going to be gone in 35 seconds. I'm like, oh, that's so good. But then you drink something like a non-alcoholic beer and you're, you're kind of sipping on it. So having a drink that has those speed bumps that is aimed at kind of a more mature palate that like. I think that's great. I, I think it's great. I think the only caveat I would say is like, you know, know yourself. Yeah. If it's going to make you want something and disappoint yourself, then obviously stay away from it. But I think it's awesome. I remember back seven, eight years ago when I first started this, you couldn't get any of that stuff in the US. The UK like was exploding with it. Australia felt like it was oh, really options, but you could not get it in the US. And now that's really changing. Uh, I have a friend who is, you know, in marketing. And so she's always up on all the trends. And she said two shocking, shocking statistics. One is that half of all millennials and Gen Xers did dry January this year. So that was amazing, wow. like half. And then the second one was that beverage, alcoholic beverage companies are now targeting 30% of their R&D and spend on non-alcoholic options, which wow. is incredible. I mean, that's cool. It, it definitely sits differently in my body. Like, I mean, it just has to, because it has, and I always try to have the the ones that are like zero, actually zero, zero, because um, I know there are some like with 0.5. I don't know if that affects you or not at all, at all but, but, um, but this, and they taste great. So um, that's, I mean, it's cool. I just wanted to ask you and get your thoughts on that. Um, at 0 0.5, I mean, I haven't, I haven't like tried this, but if you think of this, like a, a like a 3-2 beer is 3.2% alcohol. So at 0 0.5, what is that? You have to drink seven of them to have one 3-2 beer. Wow. So you're, you're talking a very small amount of alcohol. So I don't know if they do that because of the distillation process to give it a slightly different taste. Right. The, so if you think a 3-2 beer, you probably as a grown man need four or five to even feel mm. a buzz because they're such low. Because most beers these days are seven or 8% alcohol, right? Yeah. So like- like especially an IPA or a hoppy beer. So you're talking 16 of those those 0 0.5 beers to even, I mean, maybe my math's wrong. So y'all do, yeah, yeah. don't, don't trust me, but I just, I can't, I think that's probably just for the taste or something, but um, yeah, it's, it's not, it doesn't, it, it doesn't even feel like it's in the same realm. Right. You know, right. Not, I also right. think that, 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 that does give a perspective alcohol yeah, that, in it. Right. Like if you've measured or I've read this somewhere that even like orange juice has like an alcoholic content. So oh. yeah, it's it's for sure not going to get you drunk. Yeah, no, no, there's no way I'm gonna get drunk. <laughs> I'm 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 like six foot four, two hundred and fifty pounds. You know, like I'm it's not moving me at all. <laughs> you would be puking before you had a buzz from any of those low or no alcohol, in my opinion. But I haven't yeah. tried it, so I, I can't actually yeah. say. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, this is so good. Um, talk to me about your business, uh, yeah. in terms of your business model and what you do, cause you've helped tens of thousands of people around the world. You ran, you run a, you know, multi-million dollar organization. Um, we met in a, 
you know, in a program that requires minimum million and above, I think you were in like the 10 million or something like that. And so you've helped a lot of people. You've made a lot of impact with this thing. Talk to me about your philosophy of building your business and your business model and just whatever's coming up for you around building your business. I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, businesses, I was actually just on a kind of an all team call giving our 2023 update earlier before this. And I started it off with saying like 2022 was a year of a lot of, it was intense. There was a a lot of growth in our business, like um, not, not financial growth, but like painful, like clean the system growth in 2022. And, and I was like, but the, the reality is, is that if it is not always feeling like it's breaking, it's not growing. And I think that for me is one of the fundamental things that I didn't know. Uh, I like how Alex Hermosi says it. And he's like, it's, it's not, there's no destination. This is a forever game. This is a game that you just keep playing. If you're playing it to get somewhere, you're screwed from the beginning. And I think that was such a good reframe for me because when I first started this, I mean, first of all, it happened very accidentally. I felt like I, I wrote that book and then the book went crazy. And then, you know, people started asking me, they're like, Hey, we would love this. I didn't even have an audio book. So like, we would love this on audios. And I built like a little audio program for 45 bucks. I put that out and then people wanted it on video. So then I kind of built a video program for like 500 bucks. And I put that out in the world and it sort of snowballed from there just me being really responsive to what people want, how people want to consume this information. And, you know, I now obviously do it full time and we have a pretty finely clean structure of of what we offer. So I have a free challenge that I'm very committed to it being free, always will be free. It's a free 30 day um, in an app. You know, you can find the app on the app store and it's called the alcohol experiment. And the alcohol experiment is like 30 days and you could get free just with that. It's it's mm. all about that substance and society related beliefs. But wow. then obviously people need that self stuff. They need the stuff that's like, okay, well, I have to get out of my own way to make this stick. And if that is where you are, I have two different sort of offers for that. Um, one is the path, which is a year long program. It's 1997 or one. 97 a month, daily live group coaching, daily content, daily videos, an online community. I mean, like soup to nuts, everything you could possibly need to, to really find freedom. And then we have an ongoing, it's called Live Naked AF membership program that is just all about that. Um, you know, so you've made a shift. You may have read my book and you just want the support. And, you know, I was talking, I was on a uh, I do a podcast as well, this Naked Mind podcast, and it's all people telling me their stories. And I actually recorded one right before this. And he was saying that, you know, he just wanted like beyond, like you just need to know kind of that you're not alone. And he goes, the most important thing for me was knowing that all the firsts can be a little bit bumpy, right? So like your first wedding, like my first wedding happened years after I stopped drinking. It was so bumpy because I I was like, how do you do this? I don't know how to do this. This is different, right? I'm the only person here who is not drinking. That's actually when I had my first non-alcoholic beer was at that wedding. And, um, And it was like, it was so fascinating. And so we have this whole like first toolkit, like getting through your first, uh, gosh, your first time having sober sex. Like that's a big first that people don't talk about. That's important. Like you might've been drunk for most of your sex. Uh, so, and, and so all of those sorts of firsts are kind of packaged in there and just really support for that first year. So that's, that's 
that's the business model in a nutshell. And, um, and then I have an institute, this Naked Mind Institute, which is a six month coach certification program. We have coaches from all over the globe, uh, a few hundred coaches now who they can hang their own shingle, do their own thing, start their own business, being a certified this Naked Mind coach, or they come and work for me and coach within my programs, mm-hmm. uh, which is it has been just phenomenal. And, and to see people, um, because my vision for this was, I named it this Naked Mind instead of like Annie Grace or something was, I, I just really, I want this to be something that that lives and grows, you know, I have a vision of ultimately kind of like putting everything in the public domain so that it just can like Mm -hmm. exist and be iterated on and and that it can actually like infiltrate and change how we're handling these conversations around habit change and addiction, because there's nowhere I think in our society and our language where the the conversation is more shame-based and guilt-led than habit change and addiction. And, and those things don't work, like not over the long term. You can, you, diets work for the short term. There's a reason the diet industry is as big as it is. There's a reason the average American woman goes on like seven diets a year is because they don't work over the long term because the approach is that of that behavior-based thing. And so I think there, we have a lot of work to do to reframe the narrative, um, to, to move it more into compassion and grace and uh, yeah, so that's that's what the organization is all about. And it's been it's it's wild, man. It's it's mm. nuts to lead a business. I'm actually getting to the point where I'm like, okay, is this my zone of genius? I I have a CEO coach and he told me last year, he's like, there's things that only you can do, right? Mm. Like only you are gonna write the books that only you can write. Mm. Only you are gonna teach the concepts that only you can teach. You know, only you are going to be able to be the one on the stages and stuff. And there's things that there's a lot of people can do. And, you know, a lot of people can be CEO of a company and grow a company. Um, and so at some point, I think I will have to really, you know, I I want, I never want to be the, the, the stumbling block or the hindrance for the movement, right? Like, as long as I can be the one at the helm of the ship kind of doing the best with it, then I'm willing to do it. But as soon as it's like, okay, some other like someone you know whether that's I don't know what it could look like but but I'm really open-handed with the whole thing I think and and I think I wasn't like that at first in fact just a small tangent when I first started this I I felt so much pressure from every single person's story in fact I'd get thank you letters like I get like 10,000 emails a month and um so many of those are just thank yous but even with every single thank you I got I would feel this overwhelming sense of oh, well, what if they go back? What if it doesn't work for the long-term? What about all the other people who I haven't reached yet? I just felt like this heaviness and this responsibility, over-responsibility. And one of my um, my core beliefs now is that I'm invited into this business thing. I'm not required. You know, this, as, as evidence, this movement, this shift culturally in the zeitgeist around sober curiosity and mindful drinking, like it is happening with or without me. Mm. And I'm really honored to be invited, but I I don't, I'm not required. And like taking that pressure off myself has allowed me to kind of show up for it in a way that is holding it very loosely um, and trying to have more fun and bring lightness to a conversation that, you know, it's, it's way too heavy anyway. Mm. I mean, it's a heavy conversation, but it is, yeah. It's just why do it more heavy. So gracefully. Um, what's the, this naked mind, just tell me quickly, where did that idea come from? 
Um, so really, <laughs> I was eating, I was trying to name the book and I was eating bare naked granola, which is just organic granola without any preservatives. And I was like, that's how I want my mind to be. And I was listening to This American Life. And so I just thought that was funny, This American Life. So it was kind of this like, oh, this naked mind with bare naked granola, like, and, and it just kind of came together for me. And it, it really, for me, the meaning is about this idea of not only kind of living sort of pollutant free, um, but also going back and reconnecting with that version of ourselves that didn't need alcohol to relax or, or to have a good time. Um, for a long time, my friend Russell was in like the, in my webinar and he is 43. He's never had a drink in his life. And he was in there and I was like, imagine if you'd never had a drink in your life, would you miss it? Would you want to go back to it? Like, of course not. You wouldn't miss it. You know, and, and in, in the webinar, he's like dressing up in a Batman costume. He's like, done like, you know, hilarious stuff. He has a lot of fun. And it was so fascinating where like just that thought. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I don't, I don't want to create sober people. I want to create non-drinkers or, or people who are, or so like they can drink mindfully, whatever it is, who cares about the behavior, but I want to create people who feel about alcohol, how they felt before they drank, like returning to kind of that naked, pure sense, like before you got all the brainwashing, before you got all this stuff, let's undo that. And just, if you'd never had a drink and it was all presented to you, chances are most human beings would say, yes, yeah, sign me up for that. That sounds like a blast. Like we'd be like, okay, that sounds idiotic. Right. And so I think for me, that's what it's about. It's just like stripping away um, the things that aren't true. And, you know, and now the naked has just like, it's taken a life of its own. When you're in one of my programs a year, you become a streaker. So that's fun. And, you know, <laughs> so that's fun. I just, I, I love how you approach this topic with, with such lightness and grace. And I really felt that, like, like I said, when I read the book, I was like, I don't feel like she's even telling me to stop drinking. I'm like, where's the part where she like goes hard at me and tells me to stop drinking? I'm like, it didn't even happen. Then I finished the book and I'm like, I don't think I want to drink anymore. <laughs> and I don't think, I don't think she told me to stop drinking. I'm like, what's going on here? So um, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. No, um, for rules. It, no about, rules. No rules. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, so good. It's been, I'll tell you what, it has honestly been a privilege to have this conversation. I, I, I didn't take it lightly. I've got a ton of research about you all here and stuff that I distilled down and I'm just genu genuinely grateful for this. Um, if people want to get connected with your work and start that, and they're just, they're just curious to like, check it out, what it looks like to have no rules in your life and to live with a bit more freedom. Um, would the app be the best place to start? Like what would, or the book, um, what would be the best place to start for them? So, so I think since we're on a podcast, my podcast is great. It's the Snake in Mind podcast, if you're already a podcast listener. And then, um, yeah, the app is This Naked Mind in the App Store. And there's the alcohol experiment is in there. It's all free, free 30-day challenge. There's also 700 videos of every question you could possibly imagine. I've Every question I've been asked since I published the book in 2015, I've made a video to answer. And so those are all categorized, searchable in the app. It's also a 70,000 person community um, off Facebook for privacy. So I, I think that's a great, a great place to go um, if you want to just kind of dip a toe and see what it's mm -hmm. all about. And the final question is, uh, when you get to the end of your life, Annie, and uh, let's say it is the end of your life and people are standing around talking about Annie Grace, talking about the impact that she had, um, what, what would be your hope that, that people would, would be whispering about you as they're thinking about your life? 
Whoa, that is a good question. Um, well, I think for me, like the, the thing that I feel most called to and my most true version of me is, is to help people be gentle with themselves and to help people be kind to themselves and to help people realize and understand that like world peace starts with inner peace. You know, kindness starts inside first. It's an inside job first. And we're all running around with our like chickens with our heads cut off, trying to fix everyone else and everything else. And if we just like took a little more time to be selfish, honestly, like legit, let's reinvigorate and make that word okay, because it's just the truth of the matter. you know, then we would be able to pour from a cup that wasn't empty. So if I helped people just know themselves a bit more, like with grace and compassion, I think that would be a win. Beautiful. Annie Grace, thanks for being on the Expert Edge. Appreciate you. Why is it so hard to know what content to include in your speeches and webinars? Knowing which ideas to keep in and what to leave out is the difference between just getting claps or signing clients. If you're really serious about making your content highly persuasive, make sure to download the Persuasive Content Builder while it's still available. Go to www.persuasivecontentbuilder.com and get your step-by-step formula for designing and delivering content that connects with your audience and moves them to join your programs. Until then, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Expert Edge.